and turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 130. Psalm 130, where we hope to continue what we began looking at last time. We read from verses 1 through 4, so today is a part 2. Today we read verses 5 through 8, because we want to advance the reality that we looked at last time and really what we just sang in several of the stanzas. Stanza 2, we sang this specifically, "'Tis thine to soothe the sorrowing mind with guilt and fear oppressed." Tis thine to bid the dying live and give the weary rest. Rest, that's where we left off in word and in sacrament last time. We rested in the gospel truth that our Lord is Lord and that with him there is forgiveness. If you wanted to peek at verse 4, that is what we confessed. Our soul is drowning in the depths of sin, verse 1. We're relating with the psalmist. Still, there's hope. There's still hope. Why? Because the Lord hears. We looked at that. He rescues the repentant, the penitent one, right? The one who cries out from the depths of his own sin, desiring pardon. That's how we summarize things. That's how we'll look at it again today, pardon. So I'm going to ask it this way. This is sort of rhetorical, and, and I hope the quick answer from your gut is yes. Have you received pardon? you received a full pardon. Well, we've begun to look at that in verses 1 through 4. We looked at wrestling with sin that is followed by resting in good news, the good news of God's forgiveness. And that leads us now as pilgrims to the confession of faith that we find in verses 5 through 8, as the pilgrims then effectively are giving testimony to what the Lord had done for their soul. We're going to ask ourselves again as we read, can I sing with them? Is this latest song of ascents my song? Hear the word of the Lord. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach your word now, we ask that you would give us eager hearts that want to receive from you all that we need to find rest and soothing and life, life in you. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. seems pretty common in news reports uh, to hear about crime, yeah, and not just crime in general, but specific crimes that have court cases that involve the death penalty. Every now and then, of course, recently in California this has come up, we, we hear about the actual sentence being carried out against a prisoner that has been on so-called death row. And during that time, we we recognize that there must be some ultimate consequence that is being settled for a crime, and typically throughout the reporting of events like these, the, well, talking heads, media types, politicians, maybe you, yourself, and I gather in debates or discussions about the justice of the matter, uh, you know, does the punishment fit the crime, what has become of our society, et cetera. And then often the, the... 
discussion has a result for, uh, from some parties to demand for uh, pardon. There, uh, there's a, a request for clemency, a release even, maybe even let, let the prisoner go. And usually we find that the, the judge or the state governor or the pardon is requested from the president himself. We find that almost always that pardon that is sought is denied. And it's denied by one who is actually able to grant the pardon. But that is not so in Psalm 130. In fact, as we began to hear last time, it is the Lord God himself who provides a perfect pardon for all of his pilgrims, for all of those who are crying out to him from the depths, crying out from the depths, not just in general, I'm having a bad day, but crying out for mercy, for forgiveness that is so craved. That the Lord hears. He rescues even from the weight of sin, or as we looked at last time, the waves of sin, given the picture of the psalmist. And as we're looking at now, even he saves from the wages of sin. There's weight for sin, there are waves of sin, and there are wages for sin, which is what, Bible scholar? The wages of sin is death. That's what the apostle tells us. The wages of sin is death. You say, well, that's not this psalm. Well, this is scripture. Our sin, and I, and I want you to underscore the word our, if you want to make it very personal. My sin is a death penalty issue. It sounds brutal to put it, if that seems too harsh, if you don't like the metaphor, you need to ponder this. This is biblical. The wages of sin is death. And so when we talk about the death penalty, if you are a sinner, this involves you. No one can leave here today and say, that word did not apply to me because you're a sinner. And so am I. And so we must receive pardon, pardon from above. So I'm going to ask, have you received that? Very specifically, how so does that affect your life? If you answered immediately, yes, that affects my life and I know that I'm pardoned, now what? In other words, here's the truth that we're celebrating in Psalm 130 on the back end. When our sins receive pardon from the highest authority, above the judge of the earth, above the governor, above the president of the United States. When that pardon is granted, we need to live like it. We need to live like it because the reality is, in this room alone, if you want to think of it this way, there are more than, there might be, I don't know the actual count, there might be more than 100 former death row prisoners set free. We think it's those people, those crimes being what? What are your crimes? Maybe moments ago you confessed your crimes of this past week. Have you been released from the penalty of your sin by the power and by the pardon of the one seated in heaven above the governor, that judge of heaven and earth, the one who has the authority to say to you, you are not guilty, your crimes have been paid for, therefore, you are free to go. And you leave here today free. If you have received that word from on high, and if you've walked out of the depths of the penitentiary, 
as a penitent one, then you must know what it's like to live this way, expectantly and expressively. That's what we want to look at today in this portion of Psalm 130. So I invite you to step back with me into verse 5. And as you do, listen with the voice, listen for this psalmist, the, the expression. This is the same one who just confessed his sin, the same one who's clinging to the Savior, the Savior with whom there is forgiveness. Now verse 5, he says this, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Okay, just uh, If you weren't here last time, you need to, you need to do some catch-up. Just imagine being drowning in the depths and then seeing the word hope in verse 5. You say, hope? But what about the depths? What about the despair of verses 1, 2, and 3? Despair for my own brokenness and sinfulness. Hope? It's been replaced by virtue of what? Verse 4. There's a doctrinal fact of forgiveness. Pardon. Granted by the highest authority there is. The Lord God. There is forgiveness with him. The Lord who is the object of the sinner's hope. The object of the sinner's hope. We don't want to miss the point. We don't want to take it for granted. Uh, this is key to the walk of faith. Do you live expectantly today? And if, you're, if the object of your hope and your faith is not in the Lord himself, which is clearly what's happening here, you have no reason to live expectantly, to expect anything good, not lasting. See, our walking and our waiting, see that verse 5? Our waiting also, it's personal. Our soul, our strength, our very salvation is attached to a person. I want to emphasize this. We live in a day that says, no, no, it's not really person. It's a, it's a force. You could say that, or it's an idea, or very popular today. It's to, to call what we're talking about here a religion. That's your religion. Or, if you want to take it even a notch lower than that vague concept, that's your opinion, that's your feeling. No, you respond, and I hope this is from your depths, not of sin, but your depths of conviction. No, my object of faith is a person, the Lord God. And in his word, verse 5, the word that reveals the Lord, what he's like, who he is, and in that word, there is hope. Even the Lord who says in his word that he forgives. If you've ever wondered, and, and it's possible... Um, I like to think that every week you have every reason to walk out of here assured 100% because thus saith the Lord, you are forgiven. You stand as righteous in the person of Jesus Christ. And yet, probably every week, a number of you leave here not so sure of that. And yet a psalm like this stares you right in the face and the psalmist is celebrating all the way up to Zion, right? As the series shows, this same truth. And on the other hand, you might get tired, as strange as this could possibly be, tired of hearing, yeah, yeah, I know the Lord forgives. Tell me something I don't know. And I'm suggesting that a lot of God's people really don't know that. They confess it, but they don't know it. What's being developed here? Notice that the psalmist is not trusting in himself. You say, I know that. He's not waiting for a feeling. You say, well, you sure? That's part of it. He's, he's expecting, his hope, his expectation is a person. You said that, I know. Let me say it again. It's personal. This is how he lives. 
He is one who has been set free. He is rescued. He is pardoned personally. And then notice as well that the object of the hope is given an objective. There's purpose, you could say, in waiting. He's waiting for the Lord. That's personal. Why? Because it is the Lord that he has offended. And verse 6 is communicating that further with this expectant hope. Listen to this poetry, verse 6, and see if you can feel expectation. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Why does he say it twice? Why does he say it twice? There's emphasis on the point. And what's the point? Why would you compare yourself to a watchman? Do you know what a watchman does? He watches. That's right. What's his job description? He watches the city all night, making sure that no enemies are coming so that everyone else can sleep peacefully. If you're the watchman, your job is to wait for morning light. And you are not released from your duty until the sun has dawned. Okay? He's waiting. Released from the duty? I've got to wait more until my watch is officially over. So there's the picture. So how do we apply this with the pilgrim here? Well, there's pardon. That's our context. And pardon is quite appropriate for this picture. Say, how so? Well, like the watchman, his soul is experiencing expectation. If you like the word longing better, that's fine. If you relate with desire for daylight. And yet at the same time, his soul is doing this as well. While he's waiting, he is enjoying something. Can you feel this? He is enjoying the assurance. This is the way the sun works. He is enjoying the assurance that daylight would come. It most certainly would. That's part of the picture here. He's not just in anguish. It's not just a pity party. Now, there are some nights during which it is dark, and sometimes the hours can seem very long. Do I need to describe one of those? If anyone hasn't had one of those, then see me afterwards, and we'll thank God together. One of those long nights... If you ever had one of those, then you know the idea that the psalmist is describing. His soul waits for the Lord more than, more than the watchmen wait for morning. Now ask yourselves, <laughs> how does this picture here, this picture of watchmen and longing and of hope, how does this all relate to this, the depths of sin? It's the same song. You say, well, I wasn't here last time. Again, roll with it. Verses 1 and 2, there are deep despairing moments as he wrestles with his sin. And then this word in verses 3 and 4, this fact of forgiveness. In other words, how in verses 5 and 6 do we ask and answer this question? What is the psalmist waiting for? Does that strike, as you read, does that strike you as peculiar? It went from so far deep to this assurance of forgiveness to waiting? This is part of developing the question of objective, or why is he said to be waiting? This is how we think through this, I think. Didn't the Lord already forgive him? 
Yes. And isn't the Lord always with him? Yes. So pardon is not the problem here. He's already heard from the governor, so to speak. In fact, he's already been released. This death row convict has been granted a new life. He's free. So we might ask this question. What more could he possibly want? What is there left to wait? If you have been released from death row, not just and gone back into the prison system, you have walked out the doors. Are you done? What's he waiting for? Do you know? I'll be so bold to ask this. Do you care? The psalmist doesn't say this, but I'm going to suggest that this expectation, this mixture of anticipation and, and assurance is looking to, longing for, the dawning of the bright day when intimacy, intimacy with his Lord is restored. When fellowship is warm, when brightness is in his soul, not only returned, restored in the sense that even before the sin, looking to this time nearby as he waits, the relationship will be even better than it was before the depths. Before the offense, before the crime, before the sin, before the depths pulled him down, verse 1, and at least emotionally pulled him away from his Lord. Now he wants restoration. I want restoration. I mean, in every sense of the word, I want this emotionally, spiritually, personally, relationally, purposefully, that's the objective. Intimacy. That's next. I've received pardon. I confess it as true. I'm resting in the pardon I have received. Now, now I long and by faith I expect a renewed closeness. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before, and I'll probably say it again because it's one of those times in life that sticks with you. And if we did things like open mics, we could line up and each of you could say, me too. But I, I do remember a, a watchman moment in my own life. It was during my senior year in college. Uh, it's one that can stick with you. Uh, I've got to tell you, it involved, uh, well, you read the depths and darkness, waiting. And, and kind of came seemingly out of nowhere. It's, at the time, it seemed out of nowhere. Looking back, maybe it wasn't. But, but it felt like a rug is pulled out from underneath um, spiritually. I was weak spiritually. This was unpleasant. Say, so what do you mean by weak? Well, indifferent. I remember looking across the room. I was, uh, and there was my Bible on my desk. And I was at a Christian college. Man, I was just too tired to get it. That concerned me. Didn't want to. Not deep down. And so I was down. And of others, they probably described it in terms of dryness. You feel spiritually dry. You say, I feel distant. Distant from God, even though God has not gone anywhere. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Again, if not, see me afterwards. We'll thank God together. And maybe that's where you are today. You say, well, that, that's me, the distant dry thing, today. And I remember uh, during that time, I was telling my friends because I had to talk about it. I said to them, um, I know I know that God is going to deliver me from this. I don't know when, but I know that he will. And that was good doctrine talking. And I'm glad the doctrine was placed in my head and in my heart at an earlier time. Sound doctrine comes in real handy when you are weak. Uh, times for comfort can be drawn purely on the matter of what is true. I knew I wasn't going to deliver myself from this because I was too weak. And really about all I could do, it seemed, was wait. I'm an American Christian. This does not go well. Waiting. Wait on the Lord. Not on myself. Wait on him. And I I wasn't waiting for his pardon. I want to emphasize that. I'm not waiting for forgiveness. I already had that. I had that at the cross when all my sins were nailed there. And again, that's sound doctrine talking. If you need to remind yourself again today, if you didn't about 15 minutes ago, your sins were nailed at the cross. But we're looking at this question today. Now what? How do we live like that? Is the Spirit reminding you, reassuring you in his word today that you have a right standing before God? Remember what took time, uh, actually months, not to discourage you. Could be minutes. Could be months. There was a wait. And this feeling of closeness and intimacy, that's what I wanted. Restoration after an offense. You say, I don't get it. Well, yes, you do. I, just, human relationships. Have you ever sinned against another human? Husband or wife? No, not that. Um, a, a child? No, I never sinned against my children. Keep going. Um, parent? Someone in this room? I'll answer that one for you. Yes, you have. And unless and until you repent of your sin and confess it as sin to God and probably to the offended person, until you do that, you should not expect a close relationship to develop. Don't fool yourself. I wonder why he or she is distant from me. And it could be the distance is because he or she has sinned against you. And there is a rift in your relationship. The relationship is stymied by sin. That's the state of sin. There's damage. And so there's distance. Maybe not destruction, but probably the best you can hope for is one of those plastic-faced, how are you doing, hypocritical kinds of relationships from here on out. So if that's what you want in your personal relationships, the plastic variety, the phony relationship, and you want that with God too, don't expect much intimacy. 
If you do want intimacy, then you must pursue peace. And having received that pardon from above, and maybe from another human, having received it, you need to live like it. Surely you can relate with that at the human level. But when you understand your pardon from above, how does that not set you free, wildly free, to enjoy intimacy with the Lord God of the universe? Waiting eagerly, expectantly. That's the long point for this morning. Expectant hope. The morning light is about to dawn. The joy of fellowship restored as a forgiven, forgiving, forgivable friend is restored to you. And when the restoration is with God, the hope is great. And to the point here, when the offended one is God, as the psalmist is discussing, it's not just a mere person. It is the personal God. You've got to know this as both a pilgrim and as a watchman. You need to know, especially... If you find yourself waiting today, you need to know that your Lord has forgiven you. He said that 20 minutes ago. I know. The psalmist says it one, two verses. Know it today. Rest in that today. We're still resting. Restored in full heart, full hope. That's what the Lord wants to do. That is part of the object lesson. The objective is his. And in his time, I don't know when it will be, If this is you today, and in his way, I don't know how he will do it except by his word and spirit. But he will do it. He will restore his pilgrims completely to himself, fully. And that's pretty much what is celebrated in the closing verses of this inspired song. This is the same song. It starts in the depths, and now it ends in the heights. Listen to this expressive expression of hope that flows from the heart and from the mouth as well. This is one who has been pardoned, rescued from the depths, and now verse 7, beginning with that first line. Listen, he says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. I'm going to pause it. This won't take long to develop. See how personal that is? And then what's following here are reasons why they ought to do this, why you ought to put your hope in the Lord. But before we outline that hope, here's what the psalmist is doing. He's offering his hope. He takes his own experience That's with the Lord, And then he does this. He calls others to join in. Renew your confidence in the Lord. Why is that? Submit yourself to him. Why should I? This is the Lord who delivers, even from the depths. That's his story. That's his song here. In fact, in this single song of ascents, we can see, we can hear this movement upward. Just We've been looking at the songs of ascents. There are 15 of them, and they march from here to there, and they end in Zion. We have one left after this one. And yet in this one psalm, we can see from depths to heights, covering much territory, the pilgrim moves to the point where he knows he is saved. He's set free. He's pardoned by the highest authority there is. It's God. And so, of course, what's he going to do? Well, I'm going to tell you about it. He's going to say, you need to do this. You need to. It's great. He is great. And that's the implication of what might rightly be called a testimony. Just right there. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. The Lord did this for me. If he can do this for me, he can do the same for you. If you put your hope in him. 
So does that come out of our mouths? Oh, no. The guilt trip. No, no, I'm just... That's an objective question. Expressions using words. Is there something burning within your heart that wells up so much that it can't help but come out of your mouth? Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. And I think you say, no, this kind of expressiveness, that's, uh, that's a little pushy. Um, maybe a little too personal to publish out loud. Um, besides, who am I uh, to tell others that this good news is for them? Do you ever get caught up in this strange thinking? Who am I to tell others that this? And yet, you know, what happens is there's good news. There's a sale at Best Buy. I'm telling people. Uh, there's a new flavor at Starbucks. I'm going to tell you, right? It's automatic. Spread the word. Pumpkin latte. <laughs> Can you believe it? But rescue from the depths of my sin, deliverance from myself, pardon from an intimacy with the Lord God of the universe, rest for my weary soul, Well, that's good for me, but for you, who am I to say to you? Oh, verse 7, put your hope in the Lord. You can answer that. This is who you are. You are a pardoned pilgrim. That's who you are. So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The pardoned need to live like it by way of expectant hope, and by way of expressive hope. That is, we want to tell this news to others. And if someone were to get to this point in the song and still ask, what is this news? What is this news? The final verses are going to give us an outline, a brief one, but there's an outline of hope, assurance that we've been granted pardon. So picking up in verse 7, listen again. This is good news that everyone needs to hear. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. It's practically an outline of the gospel. Do you see that? You want something in your back pocket? You already got John 3.16. You, you could use this, never marvel at the gospel in the Old Testament. Is it? This truth here, with the Lord, verse 7, heavy implication, not with you, not with your activities, not with your obedience, not with your righteousness, whatever that means, but with the Lord is unfailing love and full redemption. Even from the depths of sin? Yes. Even from that. What an outline. I mean, what an opportunity to tell. I mean, this was good news then. This is centuries before the cross. It remains good news 2,000 years after the cross, which is the place where Jesus did purchase our pardon. He paid for our sin to make us righteous before God. In a word, redeem. Verse 8. That's the message. Is that your message? He said, well, that's a message in my heart. Okay? 
And by faith, the psalmist and these other pilgrims that are singing with him, they're making their way up to Jerusalem together. What did they know? They knew that the Holy One that they were approaching for worship, they knew that he would have to punish sin. He couldn't pardon sin that was not punished. That's, that would be unjust. God is just. So they knew that pardon requires a payment. So they knew that somehow someone who was able, even God himself, maybe, right, would have to make a payment. And, and of course, they may not have known exactly what that looked like. They would not have known Jesus by name. They might not have known specifically how God would pull this off. But however he would do it, he would do it. And their trust within would be in him. This is their hope. Verses 5 and 7 state that very, very clearly. They have this hope. Their hope isn't just in a concept. It's in a person. Been over that. It's in the Lord. The Lord who came. The Lord who accomplished redemption. How did he do that? He freed his people. He did that by the power of the cross. Sin and guilt for sin. The depths of sin. Listen, he took that upon himself. He took our death penalty. So we don't have to die. That's what Jesus did at the cross. The payment sets the prisoner free. The prisoner who was condemned, the prisoner who would have to pay for his own sins with the wages known as death. Can you preach the gospel, pilgrim, from these eight verses? You can. If you've ever known the depths of sin, if you've ever known any distant, if you've ever had to wait for your Lord, if you have wrestled with the question, is there forgiveness with God? Is there full redemption? Or is it partial and I need to contribute a fraction? These eight verses walk you right through it. And if you've met the Christ, now if the Christ has called you to himself, this psalm If you haven't already received the pardon that you need, then today you need to turn yourself in. Turn yourself into the Redeemer. Why is that? For with him is unfailing love. You turn away from yourself, you turn yourself into him, you turn to him in hope with high expectations, and then you look forward to these countless opportunities that you will be given to tell others what the Lord has done for your soul, where your hope is. Is, And that goes for all of us here. Again, I want you to consider simply the impact on our own community. If just 100 pardoned pilgrims left here today with this proclamation on their lips. Not, not just in your hearts, on your lips. What would that sound like? What song would that produce in our cities? Let's find out. Pray with me. Father, you have given us a song. You've given us a song of salvation, a song of praise for the pardon we have received in the Son you sent to redeem your people. Lord, since we know what it is like to be lifted from the depths of sin and placed in Christ, Lord, as the redeemed, Keep us always expectant in hope and always expressive of the hope that you have granted us in the Savior.
Father, let this song be our song, and may it please you to use our voices in making this good news known. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Number 273 in the Psalters will be our response today. It is this psalm, From Out the Depths I Cry. Let's stand as we sing.